Okay, let's take our Bibles uh, this morning and turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Looking this morning at verses 12 and 13, you have to wonder maybe uh, when you're reading the, a passage like this saying, what is this passage doing in this context? Well, I'm going to answer that today. Because really it's talking about the terror of the Word of God. And we'll see what that says this morning. But look at these verses. Uh, Notice with me, verse number 12. Let me read these two verses, chapter 4 of Hebrews. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Let's pray. Lord, I need your help this morning as your servant. And Lord, we together need your help to understand these passages, Lord, and to apply them to ourselves and to the day in which we live. So, Lord, you may rescue those who do not know you, who still remain in unbelief to yourself, that they may know your rest, that they may know your great salvation when they put their faith and trust in the only one they can, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Help us this morning. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Now, this passage of Scripture that we are going to examine today is a passage about the Word of God itself. But let's not miss the context in which these passages sit. Remember, we have been examining in our immediate context the promise of God that He offers to all those who care to listen. That is, the person who hears the truth and is moved in his will or her will to act upon it with a wholehearted trust in God's promise, that person enters into rest. In fact, if you notice in chapter 4, verse number 3, it says this, For we who have believed entered that rest, just as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, but... In verse 3, it says there's a group of people that have entered God's rest, meaning entering into God's salvation through Jesus Christ. Remember, has a present aspect to it and a future aspect to it. But those who do not listen and heed God's promise, they are doomed to remain under God's warning under God's oath, as chapter 3, verse 10 and 11 informs us, therefore I was angry with this generation and said they always go astray in their heart and they did not know my ways, verse 11, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So see, the warning is... For you not to fall short in the same way they fell short concerning the promise. That is, 
now preached to us today. That entering to God's rest by listening to and heeding the good news of Jesus Christ. In verse 2 of chapter 4, it says, For indeed we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. So they heard it, they were listening, but they did not believe it. The failure of the past generations was they merely heard what God said, but they didn't trust Him. They didn't believe Him. So hearing is one thing, and believing is another. The Word warned them. The Word of God warned them not to harden their hearts. Don't turn away when God is speaking. Yet they spurned the good news. And they spurn the promised rest. The warning then for us is don't repeat their folly. Don't repeat their foolishness. Now why are we warned in Scripture not to repeat their folly? Well, our passage our passages answers that question. And here it is. This is why we should not repeat their folly because of the terror of the Word of God. That's why we shouldn't. In other words, what God says, God means. And if God makes an oath that they not, will not enter rest, they will not enter rest. If God makes an oath that those, all those who hear the Word of God and end up in disbelief they will not enter rest too. So get this, that if the sanctions of God's word were so effective upon the Exodus generation that Joshua and Caleb and all those under 20 years of age enter the promised rest in Canaan, but all the rest perished in the wilderness for not believing God's word, a word they heard, but they just did not act upon. If that generation who was given the good news in types and shadows pointing ahead to the days of the gospel and they were held accountable and responsible to what was spoken, then how much more will the word of God be effective today? The days of God's final revelation in Jesus Christ. That's why we have the stress in this passage of Scripture. On today, look at verse number 6. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, that those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience. And then verse 7, in the middle of the verse, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, don't do it. And remember, today means while you still have life and breath. Today means while there's yet time. Right now is today, isn't it? Isn't today today? It's not tomorrow, it's not yesterday, it's today. See, while you're, in other words, under the hearing of God's word, that's when God's calling. That's when God's saying to respond. Don't put it off because something more interesting is going to happen 
tomorrow or put it off to a certain day when you think that you're ready. No, the word of God is saying here, listen, don't put it off because today is today for you. Because you don't have tomorrow anymore and you may not have, you, I mean, you don't have yesterday anymore you don't, and you may not have tomorrow. So give him while you have a chance. Obedience and trust. Give him submission so you can enter into rest through Jesus Christ. That's God's message to us right now. So brethren, God's word is performative today and confronts the Christian church with the same alternatives as that old generation. Either you enter into rest or you're left with God's wrath. That's it. There is no in between. There is no negotiating. That's it. So see, this message today I will not win any prizes for. I will not get any, any accolades for today's message because it is a hard message. But one we need to hear because they needed to hear it. We need to hear it, right? Because for us, it is today. So this morning, there are four observations concerning the Word of God that should strike terror in those who hear. And here is the first one, and it's found in chapter 3. I'm going to go up to chapter 3, verse number 7. And it's also found in, in, uh, found in Psalm 95, which he's quoting in chapter 3. But we don't need to turn there because it says the same thing. And it's this. It's the dynamic origin of the Word of God. This is where it all starts. Verse number 3 tells us this. Uh, in verse number, uh, chapter 4, excuse me, chapter 3, verse number 7. It says, therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice in verse number eight, do not harden your heart. So remember, when you hear the preaching of the word of God, you are hearing the voice of God, that the Holy Spirit here means God himself. And so when you hear the voice of God, it is speaking about the will of God, if God has completely and finally spoken in His Son, who has unique supremacy over all things, then it must follow that absolute trust and obedience must be given to Him ongoingly. From the day you believed, for the rest of your life, you will believe and grow in Christ Jesus. If not, if obedience and trust is not given to him, then the consequences are bound to be awful. Instead of blessing of the word of God, blessing is exchanged for terror. And don't forget, there's two, two things about the word of God that we should never forget. The first one is this, that the word of God is God's chosen instrument to give life to his people. That's what he chose. He chose any other means but the preaching of the word of God. In Genesis 1, God creates the world and everything in it. How? By the word of God. In Genesis chapter 12, God intimates uh, and initiates the covenant with Abraham. How? By the word of God. In John 1, God's incarnate word, Jesus, brings life to all those who believe. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing what? 
by the word of God. So God brings life to you by the hearing of the word of God. That's his means. That's his vessel to bring it to your ears, to bring it to your mind, to bring and press it upon your will that you would consider yourself. Where do I stand before God? See, it's sent out to us to save us. And then a second thing about the word of God is that it's God's chosen instrument to for giving holiness to his people. In other words, John 17, 17, sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. See, it sanctifies us. Ephesians tells us Christ cleanses the church by the word of God. It sets us apart once it saves us and is continually doing that for the rest of our days. So those who remain insensitive to the word of God, God's word remains a lethal weapon to them in other words don't ever be under any illusion regarding the word of god and what it says about jesus let no one think that disbelieving ignoring disobeying god's word is an insignificant and light matter it is a very weighty matter it is a very serious matter it is a very heavy matter well Because the word of God can very, the reason why is because the word of God can very effectively and accurately diagnose your spiritual vital signs and unmask you for who you really are. Jeremiah said this about the word of God in chapter 23. Is not my word like fire? Declares the Lord like a hammer that shatters a rock the power of the word of god upon the soul of man so see its source it's dynamic it is comes from god himself it does not come from men it comes from god and so that makes it a very dynamic word it makes it a word that we really don't have any opinions about we can't really argue with with any success or Lasting results, no, God wins out. He wins out. Either the word of God will be a blessing to you or will it will be terror to you. And that's the point of this passage. Because the second observation about the word of God begins to unfold that. And that the word, the performative dynamic of the word of God. Look at verse number 12 of chapter 4. I'm going to look at each point here in verse number 12 it says for the word of god is living let me stop there it's living it simply means to be alive that the word of god is as living as god himself and that god and his word cannot be separated from each other it is his word that is a living and alive enter that enters into your ears and enters into your heart and remains his word with an imperishable life-giving power. That's why anybody can be saved. Because the word of God can do that. It can open your blind eyes. It can regenerate your dead soul and cause you to see, oh, Jesus is the only way. Only God can do that. If not, you remain in your dead condition. 
in your condition of unbelief. So don't you think that it's about time to stop thinking of the Bible as an old, musty book that really has no relevance in your life and start looking at, at the Bible as a living book in which conveys a message of deliverance and salvation to all who will listen and respond to it in faith. See, the Bible is showing. It's showing us that God has essentially throughout the ages has been very consistent in unfolding and carrying out his great purpose to provide deliverance to those who need salvation from the bondage of sin, to sanctify those who are his. And then, as verse chapter 2 of Hebrews, in verse number 10 already told us, to bring many sons to glory. That's God's plan. And how does he do it? He does it by a living word. It's not a dead word. It's living. And it's a word you can't kill. It's a word you cannot silence. The word of God has been tried to be silenced by people all through history, and it's very much alive. It's penetrating into all the cultures of the world. Even the Muslim world has been closed for hundreds of years. Now it's penetrating into that world too. And people are coming to know Christ because of it. If you look at verse number 12 also in chapter 4, not only is the word alive, but it is, is effective. It says, for the word of God is living and active. It is the word that means full of energy. And it, it is used of activity which produce, produces effective results. It was the prophet Isaiah who said this in Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 11. So will my... It says, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. So every time the word of God goes out, it is sent forth either to save those and bring them to belief or to condemn those and leave them in their unbelief. That's what the word of God does every time it goes out. It'll have one of those two effects. It will not return to God void. It is effective for exposing the hearts of people professing the Christian faith but are really unbelievers. One of the points of this passage here. Someone who's left in unbelief. They really didn't believe. In fact, professor, a leading professor of a theological seminary, brought together some interesting categories to try to understand the spiritual condition of unbelievers. And in his observation, he came up with five spiritual conditions of unbelievers. I wanted to try to throw them out to you and let you think about them because every one of us were in one of these slots. The first one is this. It's the conscious unbeliever. And the conscious unbeliever is aware that he's not a Christian. Under that particular uh, title comes several other ones. It's the moral pagan living in a blatantly immoral and illegal life. And then underneath that you have the intellectual pagan uh, claiming the faith is untenable and unreasonable. And usually it's the, you have a common pagan who who just is, uh, is fashionably skeptical. If the world trends are skeptical, skeptical, he is also. And then also there's the genuine thinker who uh, has some really serious, well, 
conceive objections to truth. And then you have the religious non-thinker belonging to some organized religion, some cult, some denomination, with serious, seriously mistaken doctrine. And that's the first category. The second one is that of the non-churched nominal Christian. They have a belief in basic Christian doctrine, but no really remote connection to the church. They're just unregenerate. They're not born again. They don't believe. Thirdly, the church nominal Christian. This person participates in church, but not regenerate. Uh, There's one person who may be the semi-active moralist, respectably moral, whose religion is without assurance, and all is a matter of duty. You have that kind of person. And then you have the active self righteous person they're very committed and involved in church but they have no assurance of, or the only assurance of salvation they have is their own good works and they have not received or understood the gospel of jesus christ so they remain in unbelief even though they think they're believers and then you have fortly the awakened sinner this is the one jonathan edward talked about they're stirred and convicted over their sin without without gospel peace yet they, they are seriously convicted about their sin. They know they're a sinner. Under this category, you have the curious, awakened sinner, stirred up mainly in an intellectual way, yet without gospel peace. You have the convicted, awakened sinner with false peace. They don't have an understanding of the gospel and has been told that if you walk an aisle, if you pray a prayer, if you do something like that, you'll be right with God. And then you have the comfortless awakened sinner. They're extremely aware of their sins, but not receiving or understanding the gospel of grace. And then lastly, you have, and fifthly, you have the downright apostate. And an apostate, remember, is they were once devoted and active in church, the church of God, who then repudiates the faith without regret and leaves it. They leave it. Now, of course, somebody who apostatizes can come back if God convicts them of sin and grants them faith and repentance and brings them back into the church. That can happen. But the apostate who remains in unbelief, being part of the church, repudiates the faith and leaves. So see, the, the vital energy of the word of God can expose all echelons of unbelief. No matter where they are, no matter how hidden they may be, no matter how sincere a person may may be in their religious activity, God will expose it. In fact, that's the next thing the Word of God tells us. The vital energy of the Word of God is now illustrated by one of the most destructive weapons ever devised. You know what that is? It's the sword. It is the sword. The sword is really a close combat weapon. But swords were really meant not to just slice somebody a little bit and give them a cut. A sword in battle was used and designed to be plunged through the enemy to kill them. And if need be, cut their head off or slice them in half. That's why why it was devised and it wasn't a very effective weapon it's still an effective weapon today 
But if you look at verse number 12, it says this, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's sharper. See, when the past generation sought to disregard the oath of God and enter Canaan, they were driven back by the sword of the Amalekites and the Canaanites. It's that very word in the Old Testament he picks up here. And he says that sword is a two-edged sword. And that a two-edged sword means that it cuts both ways and it can easily slice one in half. Razor sharp on both ends. It goes in easy and it cuts wherever it needs to cut. That's the word of God. It's also in verse number 12, stabbing. He uses the word piercing. The sword enters with ease and is able to penetrate the very innermost core of an individual. And it brings to our attention what he's talking about here. It says in verse number 12, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit and of both joints and marrow and is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, what he is saying here, because of the context in which these passages sit, He is expounding to us the declaration that the unbeliever shall not enter the rest of God based on the oath of God, the word of God. So neither will any unbeliever escape the destructive energy of the word of God. So it is necessary in the consequences of the dynamic nature of the word of God when it divides something, as it's illustrated here, whether it's the vision of soul and spirit, what it means it is produces death. The sword goes out to produce death, to conquer, to divide, to slice. And then the next thing he says, they're both even joints and marrow. Again, the joints and the marrow cannot be divided without exertion of great force, which will assuredly bring about great pain and then ultimately producing death to the enemy. In other words, the word of God goes out with such force, no one can stand against it. It's a sword like no other sword. And when God's word went out to those long ago in the wilderness, it proved to be living and active because it carried out with great effect the denunciation of God's oath. I swore in my wrath they shall not enter rest. So the carcasses of some 100,000 Israelites died in the desert. And you know, that only means, that only means that the threatening, the threatening denounced against the unbelievers of the New Testament economy will certainly not be less. Hence, the repeated warning in the New Testament today. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. If you hear his voice, look at yourself. Where do you stand before God? If you don't have tomorrow, will the word of God become terror to you in a way where it will produce eternal death instead of life? in which is 
It is by its very nature. Why are we not to harden our hearts? Because God's oath still remains. Those who will not enter his rest without believing in Jesus Christ for eternal salvation, God knows who they are. They will not enter. So the word of God produces death to those who do not believe and it exposes their true nature of unbelievers, rendering them defenseless before the scrutinizing gaze of the judge. Take your Bibles for a minute. Turn to the Gospel of John for a minute. We've been reading through that. But look at chapter 12, verse 47. It kind of gives us some insight into this, this fact of the judgment, of the Word of God judgment, and who, who, is, who the judge is. In John, the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 47, it says this, If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him, For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Now, that's the mission of God, right? And it says right there in that passage of Scripture that the Lord didn't come to judge. He came to save, and that's true, right? But look at verse number 48. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. So the Bible is telling us here twofold mission of the Lord Jesus Christ to save by the word of God and to judge by the word of God but mainly to save by the word of God that people would hear not harden their heart and listen and believe and follow Christ and not reject him and those who finally reject him and remain in their unbelief then they will be judged by the same word So back in Hebrews chapter 4, if you notice in verse number 12, it says also that the word is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, brethren, come on now. Just think of that for a minute. The deep recesses of your heart, the things, the places and where you hide things, which nobody else knows but you. Nobody else but God. And when the word of God goes out, it goes deep and penetrates this sharp two-edged sword right down to the very considerations of your thoughts. In fact, what you're thinking about before you even act on them. And even how you think and where it leads to in your actions. It's able to go right down to the very core of your being and expose you. It has the ability to disclose the most secret and closely hidden sins of the human heart. That The Word of God will threaten the external actions as well as the thoughts, opinions, desires, and it will lay them bare before God as to what one thinks and what one wants. In other words, you can't hide anything. 
And in that sense, the word of God becomes a terror to those who remain in unbelief. It exposes the apostate. It exposes the secret unbeliever. It exposes the backslider in heart from the faith. And he, in, in, with that in mind, it exposes even the vanities of our earthly thoughts. The emptiness of earthbound strivings. The worldly achievements that we put so much energy and time into. And all the time, it was just for your own pleasure. And especially the foolishness of opposing God's Spirit when the voice of God was proclaimed to you. What good would any of these things be if it... if we have not genuinely and sincerely obeyed the Master's voice and entered God's rest through repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. What good is it when you come to the end of your life and you, not, you do not know your Creator through Christ? But there's another thing that the Word of God exposes too. It exposes those who love the truth It exposes those who are found in Jesus Christ. It knows who you are. God knows who his children are. See, it's not a matter of whether you know God. It's a matter of whether God knows you. That's the real issue. Does God know you? Are you one of his children because you came to Christ with childlike faith and believed? The Word of God is the only power that can penetrate so deeply and expose so completely the inwardness of our being. It will reveal sins in order to bring a person to repentance, whether it's in word, thought, or actions, and it will also do the same for the purpose of judgment, leaving that person with no way out. A very old commentator said this. He said it like this, and I quote, However orthodox, then, may be our professed creed, however regular our external conduct, if our views of truth are not conformed to the mind of Christ, if our tempers and dispositions are not regulated by the statements of His Word and subject to the influence of His Spirit, though we we may be called by His name, though we may be students and preachers of the Word, we are none of His. We are, in reality, unbelievers. Wow. That should cause anybody to step back and re-examine themselves. To say, listen, am I just playing a game here? Or is my relationship with Christ real? Am I just going through the motions, acting it out, caught up in a phase in my life and having a good time? Or am I really a believer? See, God wants us to know now and answer that question so that the word of God will not be a terror to you, but will be a blessing to you. That brings me to my last observation of the Word of God in verse number 13 of chapter 4. 
Here is the exhaustive surveillance of the word of God. Look what it says. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Now, many learned interpreters think that this is actually a reference to the manner in which the priest inspected the victims intended for sacrifice in the Old Testament. After being killed, they were hung by the neck. The skin was stripped off them. The bowels taken out and the backbone opened so that the internal parts of the animal was completely laid open and the priest can inspect it and have the opportunity to see any blemish within the animal that might make it unfit of being a perfect sacrifice to God. So in a very real way, whether this was in mind or not, the thing that is clear is that the Word of God can cut through your defenses, lay bare all your inward thoughts and intentions and secrets, and either convict the person as to make changes or to make it impossible to avoid, avoid God's righteous judgment. God Almighty is perfectly aware And can deal with us, not according to what we appear to be, but according to what we really are and what he really knows us to be. That's who God is. That's why the word of God is so frightening to those who remain in unbelief. So here's the bottom line, brethren. Here's the bottom line. To those who have not believed yet, Those who are still in disbelief. The point is this. That the oath of God. Still stands. They will not enter into the rest of God. They will be left with the terror of the word of God. To which there is no escape. My only admonition to you, if you're in that condition, is today is the day of salvation. Today is the day you should come to Christ. Today is the day you should ask Christ to save you. To say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. Save me by the blood of your son, by the offering on behalf of me. Save me. And forgive me of my sins and grant me eternal life and rescue me from the terror of the judgment of the word of God. Because I, I would never get through that. I could never escape that. To be condemned forever is a horrible thought. But brethren, I cannot leave you just with bad news. I must leave you with good news, even though I'll not explain the good news this morning. To those who believe and continue, there is good news, brethren. And what is the good news? To those who trust God's promise and believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior will enter into God's rest for them instead of the terror of the word of God against them, they have as our next passage of Scripture will explain, a merciful high priest 
who is for them, interceding on their behalf and helping them to hold fast to their confession. Why? Why does the high priest do that for those who believe? Because we are weak. Because we are, have remaining corruption in our life and we sin. Because we are prone to wander, that's why. Look at the passage, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, what do we need to do? Let us draw near with confidence the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There is the blessing for the believer. I don't have to be afraid of the terror of the word of God. Why? I have a merciful high priest. Jesus Christ is his name. He intercedes for me. He holds on to me. He causes my confession to, to be strong. Even when I'm weak, he brings me all to... He causes me to persevere all to the end of my life. And what does he do? He takes me into his rest. That's what my high priest does. To those who are unbelief, they do not have a high priest. They have no one to intercede for them. They have no one to plead their case. They have no one to sacrifice in their behalf and shed the blood of that sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. They don't have that. But we who believe do. And that's a great comfort. So I'm not afraid of the word of God. It doesn't mean it doesn't examine me. It doesn't mean it doesn't cut me. It doesn't mean it doesn't expose me. It does right now. But in the day of judgment, the terror of the word of God will be absent. Why? Because I have a mediator, a high priest that stands between me and God. Christ Jesus, my Savior. That's the blessing of the Word of God. That's the encouragement of the Word of God. I need to hear this. That's what I need to hear. I need to know this. I need to know this so I can take the next step, so I can take the next breath, so I can wake up tomorrow in this world. I need this. I need this more than anything else. The only other thing I can say is this, amen. As the old tribe heard the gospel come to them in Papua New Guinea they screamed out Etau, Etau, it is true it is true and brethren that's our battle cry may the Lord lead you into his grace and give you rest so that you may hold onto your confession as he holds onto you so that you will escape the final terror of the word of God because you have a high priest who knows all about you and is for you and has taken care of every single detail so you can be saved. So there's nothing to fear. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you this morning that in just a few short passages of Scripture there could be so much 
It only, again, proves, Lord, it's your word. It is not the word of men. The word of men is not living. It's not effective. It's not eternal. It cannot expose a man's heart like your word can. Oh, Lord, I just prayed this morning that your word would go out with power to those who are here today, that they may come before you who do not know you and believe in you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, if they need help understanding that, please direct them to myself or someone else. And Lord, for us who do believe, thank you, Lord, you've laid before us rest. You've given us rest now. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are a high priest and that we do have a mediator that stands between us and God. We do have someone who's taken the wrath of God. We do have someone who has even now pleads our case and prays for us and intercedes in our behalf because we're weak and we are prone to wander and we get caught up in sin. Oh, Lord, please deliver us from those things so we would be confessing our sin, coming to the cross again, hearing you say you're forgiven of not only that sin, but all of your unrighteousness because my sacrifice was eternal. And Lord, someday we are looking forward to that final place of rest where we can enjoy it with you. Increase our hope and our faith today so, Lord, we can rest in the fact that we do not have to be under the terror of the word of God when we have such a great high priest. And I pray this for the sake of your great name, for the advancement of your kingdom, for those who will come and believe in you even today. Oh, Lord, I give you glory and honor. Continue to hold hold us fast for the sake of the advancement of your church and your kingdom. And I pray this in your name. Amen.